The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to make it three in a row as the frenzy surrounding short-squeeze stocks continues to ease. And a shakeup in the C-suite at Amazon of all places as Jeff Bezos announces his decision to step down as the tech giant's chief executive. Meanwhile, shares of Google parent company Alphabet taking off right now following its quarterly results as the company sees continued strength in its advertising business. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen set to convene regulators to address the recent market volatility from retail traders and those short-squeeze stocks. And Democrats looking to maybe go it alone on COVID relief after rejecting the GOP's $600 billion proposal. It is Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. dire straits on this hump day for you. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Here is how your money and the global markets are setting their day up. We could be poised for more gains at the opening bell. Right now, futures are implying a 45 percent rise, modest for the Dow, an 11 percent rise for the S&P and the Nasdaq up by about 80 percent. Now driven by a number of big tech names in the pre-market that are kind of helping the action. All of this after stocks rallied for a second day yesterday with the Dow gaining more than 475 points. That's its best day since November. So far, that blue chip index is up more than 2% just this week. Bigger gains, though, for the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq, which, as you can see, are up about roughly 3 to 4% for those indices. So a very good start to February after a rough one for the month of January. We are also watching the price of silver amid that social media-driven buying rally that we saw over the last couple of days. Prices plunging more than 8% yesterday, coming down from eight-year highs. Right now, Comex Silver, $26.79. Remember, we were above 30 at one point over the last couple of days, up 1.5% right now. Still, though, that spike catching a lot of attention for traders out there. We also want to take a look at the bond market right now. Yields on the 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury note currently ticking just slightly higher, a hair below 1.12%. The two-year note yield just a hair below 0.12% or 12 basis points and 1.89%, the last trade for 30-year long bonds on the Treasury side of things. Let's now go worldwide. Jumana Bersechi is in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade in Europe. And it is somewhat positive here right now, but we're off the session highs, right, Jumana? That's it, Dom. So green is the theme over here in Europe. A lot of green for all of the bourses behind me. Gains in the early hours of trading and also for the first couple of days of February as well. So in line with what you guys are seeing on Wall Street. The focus, of course, is company earnings. Uh, we're getting a slew of them reporting this week. And so far, the report cards have been pretty positive. FTSE 100 in the UK up about three tenths of a percentage point. 
particular move in the French index and Zetradax in Germany up about half a percentage point. Some good results out of the Siemens uh, industrial giants over there. But all the focus today in Europe is in Italy. The FTSE MIB, you can see the Italian index, is up more than 2%. Why? Well, the president, President Mattarella, has summoned none other than Mario Draghi to come in and have a meeting with him today to discuss the possibility of forming a national unity government. This would put Mario Draghi in a prime ministerial role. And on the back of that, we are seeing some huge gains in Italian assets. You can see Italian banks behind me up anything from four to five percentage points. Uh, Italian BTP yields are down about eight basis points as well. Uh, so people are really taking this news positively. And some people are calling it, Dom, dare I say, the Super Mario effect. The Super Mario effect. I, I get it. <laughs> it's so funny to hear Mario Draghi's name being talked about so much after his role at the ECB. I know. I mean, I, mean I, I just want, I'm just curious, Jumana, because you're down there on the ground in Europe. How much traction do you think this is going to get in terms of a story about Mario Draghi possibly coming back? I think there's some real legs to this story. Uh, we were speaking to our Italian correspondent just uh, an hour ago, and uh, for the most part, we do seem to have political backing from most of the parties in Italy that would need to give him support. The news is positive. The meeting is formally taking place at midday in Rome, so that's uh, at 11 o'clock London time. After that, we will hear whether or not Draghi decides to take on the role, which, of course, is another consideration as far as he is concerned. Just one thing that I would note for the U.S. viewers, the President Mattarella is actually set to step down in 2022. So if Mario Draghi takes on the prime ministerial role now, there's one question as to whether or not he could then take on the presidential role in 2022. So that could be one of the limiting factors in terms of his own decision making. But, of course, good news for the markets. A lot of moving parts there. Jumana Bersetti live in London with the latest there and the Super Mario effect. Thank you very much for that. Now to your morning's top stories here and the big headlines in the business world here. The surprise announcement of Jeff Bezos' decision to step down as the Amazon CEO. The company says Bezos will make the move in the third quarter, transitioning to an executive chairman role of the company's board of directors. Bezos says he will stay engaged in important Amazon projects, but will also focus on other endeavors, including, yes, his Earth Fund and the Blue Origin spaceship company. Bezos will turn control of Amazon over to its top cloud executive, Andy Jassy. Jassy joined Amazon in 1997 and has led the company's web services cloud team, which continues to drive much of Amazon's profits since its inception. In addition to navigating the operations of the company, Jassy will also be tasked with navigating Amazon through, yes, a wave of antitrust pressures from regulators and lawmakers in Washington, D.C. News on the C-suite shakeup came amid Amazon's fourth quarter results, showing the company's first $100 billion quarter sales-wise. Earnings of more than $14 per share and revenues of $125 billion topping expectations. The company is getting a boost from holiday and pandemic shopping. Its Amazon Web Services cloud division also reporting a 28% jump in revenue for the quarter. And believe it or not, that was below some expectations. Shares right now, you can see they're off about just one quarter of 1%, 33.71. That's $3,371 per share in the pre-market right now.
Meanwhile, shares of fellow tech giant Alphabet surging this morning following its quarterly results. Earnings and revenue surpassing analysts' expectations while the results showed a strong return to growth in its very core advertising business model following struggles amid the COVID outbreak. Alphabet also revealing its cloud services business lost more than a billion dollars during the fourth quarter as the business remains in investment mode. Alphabet shares, meanwhile, up 7 percent, getting right towards those record highs. Back to broader markets now. Futures on the rise this morning as Reddit mania in the markets appears to be cooling down, at least for now. Joining us now is Luke Lloyd, investment strategist at Strategic Wealth Partners. Luke, I got to say, let's bring on the parade of experts over the last couple of weeks to to just to break down what's happening. Was there anything that had worried you as an investment strategist about the stuff that we were seeing or, or was it more isolated in your mind? It's definitely more isolated when it comes to what we've seen with a lot of these smaller cap not, or names like GameStop you know, going up uh, to $500 a share. But what I want to hit on first are these retail investors that are pumping up these names. We shouldn't discredit these retail investors. Stocks like Tesla, Roku, Square, Zoom, all have been home runs. They're highly held in retail accounts. Retail investors have been getting a lot of publicity because of these crazy runs in small cap and micro cap stocks that have extreme fundamental valuations. This isn't anything new, though. Stocks have been squeezed and have gone crazy many times before in history. I'm not saying you should buy them at these valuations. They're going to come back to earth. But what I am saying is that this isn't anything new. The only difference is more people have access to the markets and more than ever um, with the technology, with mobile trading and commission-free trading. Becoming involved in the markets is a good thing. We shouldn't discourage participation. These are learning curves for beginning investors. Um, these investors you know, they, didn't know, they don't know how to exactly trade right now. I know I didn't know how to trade when I first started. I had to learn fundamental analysis, technical analysis. It took me a long time to learn. So I think this is a good thing right now with what we're seeing with more participation in the markets. I think you've got to tune out the noise for the most part. More participation in the markets. I, I wonder, and this is kind of something I've been trying to hammer home with some of the people I speak to on, the, on Wall Street. Do you feel that on balance among the retail trading community that has been trafficking in names like GameStop and AMC, Do you think more of those traders or investors, in your opinion, made or lost money during the recent volatility? The majority of them lost money because they're late to the game, right? So they're coming in way after it's already been pumped. And that's what we've seen, you know, with market metrics all before in history. A lot of investors from behavioral finance uh, errors, they make a lot of behavioral finance errors by going in late and kind of chasing the hype. And by chasing the hype, that's never a good thing. So I think these are a lot of good learning opportunities that a lot of investors are learning, though, because I don't think they're going to make the same mistakes again in the future. Or if they do, again, they're going to learn from it down the road. A lot of these 20, 30-year-olds, they're getting started investing way before their parents did or even their grandparents. Did. So I think it's great that they're getting started early. If they're losing money right now, who cares? In the long term, I think this is going to pay off a lot um, by learning from their mistakes. Yeah, but learning from their mistakes is costing people hundreds, sometimes thousands or even more. We heard some stories about some of the, these investors losing millions of dollars over the course of that downturn that we've seen. Let's talk about the, the traditional construct for investing, because there seems to be a return to what's been working in the markets over the last several years. That's large cap, mega cap technology. Yep. Amazon and Alphabet, do they give you more confidence in the market right now? They absolutely do because the, you know, Amazon, Alphabet, um, Apple, um, Google, uh, Apple and uh, Microsoft, they all make up you know, 20% of the S&P 500 index. So you know, with that high of a weighting and technology leading the way for the future, that's where you want to be. And earnings are, are amazing right now. I mean, they are crushing earnings report. But you have to be selective with where you're buying the dip right now. Buying the dip is a broad term in a world where some states are still shut down, stimulus is being, being given out like candy, and some stocks have crushed it while others have not. I think you have to stick with the winners. I think Alphabet, I think Amazon, um, Google, all, I mean, all these different companies – 
they are winners. And I think you really have to stick with them. Um, people are itching to, you know, for these stocks that have taken off. We've had record levels of cash on the sidelines the past two, three, four, five months. You know, the markets have just gone straight up. And I think a lot of people are looking to buy these stocks, but they just continue to go up. So when they do dip, make sure you're one of the first people to deploy the capital. All right. We'll see if those small caps continue to outperform in the near term here over those big cap technology stocks. Luke Lloyd at Strategic Wealth Partners. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now to Washington, D.C., where congressional Democrats are pushing forward with their bid to pass that one point nine trillion dollar covid relief plan without Republican support. Tracy Potts joins us now from D.C. with the latest there. Good morning, Tracy. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Democrats say they're ready to go it alone. The president setting a deadline for this, but also talking about immigration and insisting his orders are not an attempt to make an end run around Congress. By the way, he was on Capitol Hill last night. President Biden at the U.S. Capitol paying respect to the police officer who died in last month's riot. As the president does battle with lawmakers here, the White House says he wants to hammer out a COVID relief deal by March 14th, just before extended unemployment runs out. The risk here, as he has said many times, is not going too too big. It is going too small. Democrats are already making moves to pass Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus without Republican support. We are not going to dilute, to dither, to delay. We're off to a a totally partisan uh, start. I think that's unfortunate. The administration's COVID response team announced they're increasing vaccine shipments to states and rolling out a million doses to thousands of pharmacies beginning next week. But Americans may still find it hard to get a shot. It's going to be a couple of months. Um, This is not an administration that's going to overpromise. Meantime, President Biden is pivoting to immigration. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Signing executive orders to reunite families, reform the asylum system, and review legal immigration policies, all while warning migrants not to try to cross the border. So it's a bit of a mixed message for those migrants already headed toward the southern U.S. border that the Biden administration is trying to change things and and make things better at the border in terms of requesting asylum. But that now's not the time to come. Dom. All right. Tracy Potts live in Washington, D.C. with the latest there. Thank you very much. When we come back on the show, shares of Chipotle are under pressure this morning after its fourth quarter results miss expectations. What the company's CEO is saying about that quarter, plus Under Armour reportedly reducing its presence with the NFL. New details on that decision coming up. And oil prices continuing to climb amid a wave of bullish headlines. We break down the road ahead for crude and gasoline prices as well. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's take a look at some of these sectors and stocks that you need to keep a watch on. First of all, 
internet-related stocks, especially those large and mega-cap ones, in light of Amazon and Alphabet's results just after the bell yesterday. You can see here one of the big ETFs that tracks these internet names is the First Trust Dow Jones Internet ETF, ticker FDN. It's up 57% over the course of the last one-year period, outpacing the Russell 2000 small-cap ETF, ticker IWM, which is up only, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, 31%. Small caps have been gaining some steam as of late, but right now we're seeing a bigger surge in the latter part of the last couple of weeks in some of these big Internet names. So maybe there's a return back to the favorability some investors find in names like Amazon and Alphabet and Microsoft and other big tech names involved in the Internet. Also now, let's watch what's happening with some of these other short squeeze type stocks, the meme stocks that we're seeing out there like GameStop and AMC. After those massive rallies that we saw, we are now seeing a bigger pullback in those names here. GameStop and AMC still up massively, but off of their highs by quite a bit. So perhaps a normalization coming back to the markets in some part. And if you're looking for a reason why maybe a lot of professional investors and traders out there didn't think that this GameStop and AMC phenomenon was too crazy and would have systemic risks, check out what's happening in the credit markets. Because it's not much of anything. If you take a look at this ETF, the iShares iBox High Yield ETF, ticker HYG, the reason why it's important is it tracks the junk bond market or high yield debt. You can see over the course of the year-to-date period, it hasn't really done all that much, pretty much flat on the year. Usually in times of systemic stress, we would see a lot more involvement in the credit markets, specifically with junk bonds or high yield debt. Not a lot of action there, which means maybe we're not going to see as much of a spillover effect from some of those short squeeze stocks on the rest of the market. Well, we are now following new developments surrounding Ant Group. Bloomberg is reporting that the company and Chinese regulators have agreed on a restructuring plan that will turn the fintech giant into a financial holding company. That means it will be the subject to capital requirements similar to those for banks. The report says that the plan involves putting all of Ant's businesses into that holding company, including its technology offerings. It adds that an official announcement could come before the start of the Chinese Lunar New Year, which happens next week. We're still on deck for the show. Newly minted Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen looking to take on the recent market volatility tied to those short squeeze stocks we just mentioned. Details on the moves she's possibly looking to make coming up after the break. Today's big number, $1.7 trillion. That's how much 5G deployment could contribute to U.S. GDP over the next decade, according to the Boston Consulting Group. The investment in infrastructure is projected to create up to 4.6 million jobs. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hey, Dom, good morning. An emotional and rare honor overnight for the Capitol Police officer slain during the insurrection that happened four weeks ago today. The remains of Officer Brian Sicknick lie in honor under the Capitol Rotunda this morning. He is only the fifth civilian to receive that distinction. 
President Biden paid his respects last night, holding his hand over his heart as he stood near the officer's urn alongside First Lady Jill Biden. Both chambers of Congress will pause to pay tribute to Officer Sicknick this morning before he is laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery later today. The Northeast is still digging out after that massive winter storm. The places that were hit hardest were buried in nearly three feet of snow. Areas of New York City saw about a foot and a half, which was enough to postpone 1,500 vaccine appointments. And the Golden Globes is going coast to coast. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler will be presenting the event in two separate locations. Poehler will be at the Globe's regular venue at the Beverly Hilton Hotel in California. And at the same time, Fey will be here at Rockefeller Center in New York City. It will be the first time in the Golden Globe's 78-year history that the show will come from multiple places. So, Dom, a tough year for cinema, but the show will go on. There, Philip Mena. The virtual stuff continues. Still ahead on the show, this much more on this morning's top story, which is Jeff Bezos announcing his exit as Amazon CEO. Our own Robert Frank looks at what's next for the tech titan and Wedbush Securities. Dan Ives lays out how that could impact the company's stock. And later on today, CNBC's Capital Exchange event series is back. Kayla Tausche leads a critical conversation about the new economic agenda with Biden economic advisor Jared Bernstein and also Business Roundtable president and CEO Joshua Bolton. Register now to join at cnbcevents.com slash capital exchange, a big event. Well, what exchange is back in a moment? Good morning, Wall Street looking at green arrows to start the day as the Bulls look to make it three wins in a row. Our big corporate story, Jeff Bezos is stepping down as Amazon's CEO. We'll talk about what's next for the retail and cloud computing giant. And Alphabet shares jumping this morning after the Google parent company posts better than expected quarterly results on strong advertising growth. It's Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Ooh, the who. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here is how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures pointing to some modest gains at the opening bell. You can see the Dow implied higher by 35 points, the S&P higher by 11 and the Nasdaq implied higher by roughly 56 and now 85 at this point. This is all after stocks rallied for a second day yesterday with the Dow gaining more than 475 points its best day since November. So far, that index is up more than 2% this week. We've got bigger gains for the S&P and NASDAQ, which are up 3 and 4% respectively. We also want to get a check on some of these stocks at the center of the short squeeze volatility as of late. You can see their GameStop up 11% pre-market to $100 even. The big figure, a share, AMC Entertainment, $8.42 costs up almost 50% as well. Making headlines this morning, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is calling a meeting this week for key financial regulators. She wants to talk about the market volatility resulting from retail trading in GameStop and other short squeeze stocks that we just showed you. Also, shares of Chipotle trading lower after the fast casual chain's earnings and revenues fell short of analyst estimates. CEO Brian Nickel was on Mad Money with Jim Cramer just last night. There are a lot of ups and downs, unfortunately. There was that surge with COVID, but, uh, you know, I think it really demonstrates the resiliency of Chipotle and the power of our 
digital business um, that we can lean on when we need to. And then I'm really optimistic about 2021. And when we get to a place where we can start reopening dining rooms, all right, those Chipotle shares under pressure this morning. And Under Armour is reportedly ending its on-field licensing contract with the National Football League. The decision comes amid a restructuring of the sportswear maker. The Financial Times reports the financial value of an on-field licensing agreement is between 10 and $15 million per year. Well, now to the latest out of Washington, D.C. and those ongoing stimulus negotiations. Elon Moy joins us now with the developments there and new analysis of President Biden's $1.9 trillion plan from the nonpartisan Penn-Wharton budget model. Elon, what can you tell us? Well, Dom, Democrats' mantra for this next COVID relief package has been to go big. But that new analysis out this morning suggests that may not be the most effective use of money. Now, the three main components of direct relief under Biden's plan are those $1,400 stimulus checks and expansions of the child tax credit and the earned income tax credit. Together, they represent a massive increase in federal transfer payments during this pandemic. And the nonpartisan Penn Wharton budget model estimates that literally almost everybody outside of the top 20% of households would enjoy some sort of benefit. The lowest income households would see the biggest boost. The analysis predicts that every one of them would get some money and the average benefit would be $2,505. That's more than a 50% increase in after-tax income. But high-income households would also get money from Uncle Sam. The Penn Wharton model estimates that more than a third of families in the top 95 to 99 percent of households would still get thousands of dollars in benefits. And their projected average is $4,265, though that only represents a 0.5 percent increase in after-tax income. So this analysis bolsters the arguments by Republicans that the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package from Democrats is not really that well targeted. And the downside of that is that there's a big increase in the national debt. Don, this analysis finds that the debt could undercut the benefits of fiscal stimulus, not just for next year, but all the way through 2040. Back to you. All right. So, so, so Ilan, what would then be the Democratic response to this data, especially around the, 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 the Penn Wharton budget model? So the first thing that they've been saying is that, uh, you know, even people who make more money who are not in that lowest income bracket might still have lost some sort of income and that they deserve some help as well. The other argument here is that they're willing to cast a wide net to ensure that nobody falls through the cracks. There is a political argument to be made that by giving money and helping out sort of those middle class families and not just the lowest income families, that is something that is politically popular and could boost Democrats' political fortunes in the future. One thing that they want to avoid is some vision of class warfare where it's only the people at the bottom of the scale who are getting helped out. And frankly, down middle class, depending on where you are in the country, could mean a much higher income in some places and a lower income in others. Of course, context is always key. And thank you for bringing us that context, Elon. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Now to that story captivating the corporate world. Jeff Bezos, one of the world's richest men, depending on the day, announcing he is stepping aside as CEO, being replaced by Amazon Web Services CEO Andy Jassy. Bezos not going far, though, announcing he will become the tech giant's executive chairman. Robert Frank joins us now with more on that Bezos decision. Robert, you watch the stock market to see Tesla and Amazon stock, to see who the richest man in the world is. 
Is it Jeff Bezos? Is it Elon Musk? So what's driving this Jeff Bezos decision? Yeah, this morning it's Elon. But look, these guys are neck and neck at just around $200 billion. And right now you could actually call it Jeff Bezos 2.0 with a new partner, massive new homes in L.A. and New York, a new physique, a new wardrobe, new social causes. Jeff Bezos was already reinventing himself before officially stepping down as CEO of Amazon. You remember back in 2018, he met Lauren Sanchez. That's a former uh, TV news anchor and helicopter pilot who has since been by his side on all kinds of trips to India, Wimbledon, yachts in St. Bart's, Oscar parties, fashion shows, and that big meeting with the French president last year. Bezos also bought David Geffen's Beverly Hills estate last year for $165 million. Friends say the two prefer to spend their time in L.A. rather than Seattle. He also spent $96 million on a collection of apartments in a building in downtown Manhattan and He just finished renovating his mansion in Washington, D.C., which he bought for $40 million. Now, with a net worth right now of just under $200 billion, basically tied with Elon Musk, Bezos will say, or does say, that he will now spend time on the Bezos Earth Fund, his day one fund, Blue Origin, that's a space company, and of course, the Washington Post, where he is now deeply involved in finding a new executive editor. And he said in his statement, I've never had more energy, and this isn't about retiring. I'm super passionate about the impact I think these organizations can have, Dom. So it it really will be a second phase. He's only 57, so he's got a lot of life ahead of him and a lot of things that he really cares about beyond Amazon. Uh, So I think that's partly behind this decision. So, so, Robert, I mean, you hit so many key points there. I mean, the, the first thing when I saw those headlines cross yesterday was, in my mind, Jeff Bezos has already been doing all kinds of changes in his life, right? I mean, and it wasn't just the divorce. It was, it was a lot of other things happening. But I'm curious, in your opinion, you're, you're the wealth editor here at CNBC. You follow all these billionaires. How much of this decision was driven by the fact that there is a true space race in the private sector right now, and Elon Musk in many ways is winning it? He is winning, and, and these two are very competitive. Uh, From what I gather, they really don't like each other much. So I I think, look, we know that Jeff Bezos, as much as he is philanthropic, as much as we see him enjoying life, he is fiercely competitive. And Dom, I think that's a really important point. If you look at Blue Origin, you know, they've made advances, but they're really not there with SpaceX in terms of where they've gone in space, how far they've gone in space. And and from a marketing perspective, they, they don't seem to be on the map the way SpaceX is. So I I think that's important. I do think he also cares about the day one fund, which is homelessness and education and the Earth Fund, which is his $10 billion commitment to climate change. So I think all these things, including the Washington Post, matter to him, both from a competitive and from a social uh, impact point of view. So I think that that is part of this decision. I mean, that brings up a great point because, you know, Jeff Bezos has come under some criticism, not being more philanthropic and whatnot. We know a lot of workers' rights organizations have challenged his, his handling of Amazon. We know that unions are trying to gain an active foothold there. How exactly does that dynamic kind of change with this particular move? Yeah, people love Amazon, but Jeff Bezos is perceived perhaps as not as popular. So I think, you know, you hearken back to Bill Gates. Bill Gates stepped down from the day-to-day operations of Microsoft, become very, very philanthropic, and has since become, you know, a sort of 
figurehead in the philanthropic world. We could see that with Jeff Bezos again giving $2 billion to day one, $10 billion to Earth Fund. Mackenzie Scott, his ex-wife, gave away $4 billion directly last year. People said, Jeff, where are you? Your, your ex-wife is giving away more in one year. He's pledged a lot, but she actually gave it away. And I think that, that gets to him. So I, I do think part of this is image building, image improving, and also just living a different kind of life. He, he's enjoying life. All right, Robert Frank with that big move there by Jeff Bezos, a story we'll be following very closely all day. I'm sure we'll see you on throughout the course of our dayside audience here as well. Thank you very much, Robert Frank. For more on that leadership shuffle at Amazon amid their earnings results, I'm now joined by Dan Ives, who is the Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities, a familiar face to CNBC viewers. Dan Ives, let's take us through this narrative here. Does Amazon change immensely now that Jeff Bezos is not chief executive and just the executive chairman? Yeah, Bezos leaving as CEO, it's a historic day for tech. But I think most important, if you look at Jazzy getting a nod, it really just shows a doubling down on cloud. I mean, this is really Amazon, especially with what we're seeing from Microsoft, gaining more and more share, and we're seeing in the growth numbers. Jazzy on the AWS front, this really shows directionally where they're going. That's going to be the focus for the street. Now with Bezos no longer a CEO, do you start to see a little bloom come off the rose as a broader issue, especially to go up against Microsoft and cloud? Jazzy, a smart pick in terms of where he comes from. I mean, Jesse's not, not out of left field. There were many experts out there who, was expect, who were expecting that Jazzy at some point, you know, maybe not as early as now, but at some point would take the reins because Amazon Web Services is the massive player in cloud computing. It is the one that's driving the most in terms of profits at Amazon and the growth there as well. So for Amazon, do we then see them five years from now as less of a retail company? Because most of the world does. I go to their website just about every day to look for stuff to buy. Well, that's the headline. I mean, this is really them focused more and more, dive into the deep end of the pool in cloud. They've obviously built the, the whole industry. But you look at Microsoft, Google, IBM, others starting to narrow that competitive share. And I think that's really the signal here. You know, Jazzy obviously is, is going to continue to be the torchbearer. But when you look at cloud and you look at this arms race that's happening in cloud, Microsoft's narrowing the gap. We saw that even in results last night. Jazzy definitely has some hurdles ahead, but he definitely is the right fit in terms of the street to take this to the next step. How much of a risk is regulation and congressional action for Amazon? What will Andy Jassy face that Jeff Bezos hasn't? I think it's a broader risk across the board in tech. I think right now viewed as a contained risk, and I think you're seeing that for, from Apple to Amazon and others. But no doubt, there's going to be a lot of time spent in the Beltway, either in person or virtually. As you look at FANG names, you look at Microsoft, you look at broader tech, the stronger getting stronger in this environment. That's what ultimately is leading the, the market higher. But that becomes a double-edged sword, more and more of a spotlight in the 202 area code. And it's something all these tech stalwarts are going to have to compete with, especially in terms of a blue Senate. All right. If you had to pick one, you could only invest in one stock, and it's either Alphabet or Amazon. Over the next year to three years, which one would it be? Well, I think in terms of the cloud sector, that continues to be the focus. That's why yeah, we look at Amazon as well as Microsoft. Our top FANG name is Apple because of the super cycle. But right now, you look at these names, this is fueling the tank for the bulls in terms of tech stocks, what we've seen over the last week. Do you like Alphabet's results? 
I mean, it just shows a broader ad rebound. That's really been maybe a bit of a you know negative that we've seen over the last year. And now you're starting to see that broader rebound. And you look at overall Fang, Complex, plus Microsoft. I mean, these are really Goldilocks tech earnings. I think drives the market higher. We think tech stocks up another 25% this year. All right. Dan Ives of Wedbush, thank you very much. Great to get your thank thoughts, you. sir. Thank you. Got to be up on the show. We'll talk oil prices with the head of energy research at Goldman Sachs. That's a big deal. WTI crude $55.12 right now. Stay tuned. Worldwide Exchange will be back right after this. Welcome back to the show. Oil prices are rising today after hitting their highest levels in about a year yesterday. The market being supported by industry data showing a surprise drawdown in U.S. inventories. Analysts also pointing to an assessment by OPEC and its major allies together, known as OPEC Plus, of a global oil deficit this morning, showing their output cuts are working to bring the market back into so-called balance. Let's get more insight now with Damien Corvallon, head of energy research at Goldman Sachs. Damien, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Let's take us through the dynamics here. Is oil justified with the gain that we've seen over the last several months? We believe so. We actually think oil prices are heading to $65 by this summer. There are three reasons really why oil will rally further. First, vaccines, you know, slow rollout, but a big positive impact on demand. Second, the policies put in place by government post the COVID shock help oil demand in terms of income distribution, green capex. And third, and probably the one that will last the longest, really is the supply underinvestment that we now see around the world. So we've seen fast gains this year, but the market is rebalancing quickly. And so we expect higher prices will be needed later this year to get supply to restart finally. All right. So, so what exactly is the main drive? I mean, we, we talk oftentimes about the imbalance in the markets right now. We talk about supply concerns. We talk about demand concerns. Which are the overriding ones driving the trade right now? Is it the idea that supplies are being managed properly out there? Or is it the fact that demand might actually recover faster than some people thought? So it's actually both. If you look at the last three months, for example, the demand story hasn't been great. Right. We've seen the return of lockdowns. Demand growth has stalled. And the supply side has dominated. It's the cuts, of course, but it's outright the signs of underinvestment. We're seeing production disappointments pretty much everywhere around the world, Latin America, Asia, Africa. As we look to the next three, four months, I think the demand side will prevail. Right? With vaccines, warmer weather, you'll see an acceleration in oil demand. And vaccines do matter a lot for oil, right? 75% of international travel uh, is still idle. If vaccines allow for that to restart, then you get the big impulse. And so the question at that point is, once demand rebounds, can supply follow? And that's the difficulty, right? Geologically, it's hard to turn production on and off. And so the deficit just gets bigger and bigger through this year. And by the summer, you've normalized excess inventories. You've gone a long ways to normalizing OPEC spare capacities. The two ingredients necessary for that reset higher in oil prices. So, so, so you said that it's not easy to kind of turn on and off the spigots. I, I mean, I understand kind of the, 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 the logistics behind it. But these, these countries have been kind of ratcheting down production for months now, maybe even a year plus at this point. Is it that hard for them to then bring supply back online? It seems like everyone's itching to do that. 
So the desire definitely is there, right? Think about OPEC's two mandates, help in the short term, the rebalancing, but raise production to support fiscal revenues next. And you could see it, whether it's the UAE, whether it's Russia, this eagerness to ramp up. The question is, is really about the ask, right? If we think about our demand recovery, it's roughly 5 million barrels per day between uh, now and this summer. Um, OPEC will struggle to achieve that, right? That would be more than 30% larger than their largest production increase over four months since the 1980s. Um, because, you know, after less investment, uh, you need to drill more wells, and that does take time. So over time, they can achieve it. But I think the core point is oil is a physical market. So if they're late by two months, you just end up with a tight physical market, the key driver to higher prices. And that's starting to already show in the oil market, right? So if you look beyond just the price itself, you know, oil gives us thermometers on the rebalancing. So the shape of the curve, the physical price. And those actually today already point to a fast tightening market. So the desire is there. The capacity is there. It's really the velocity uh, that I think will struggle to meet what will be a large demand rebound. All right. Damien Corvallen uh, from Goldman Sachs with the energy outlook there. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dominic. All right. On deck for the show, stocks looking to make it three wins in a row as futures look to build on momentum. Pivotal advisors Tiffany McGee lays out the companies she's watching amid the market's recent gains. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio format. If you miss us here on the show live on air, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever podcast app you choose. We'll be right back after this break. When I was about five years old, my dad quit his corporate job to be an entrepreneur. So the next day, he went and sold hats and gloves on the street corner in the middle of a snowstorm. He eventually grew his business into two retail stores. He taught me how to take risks. And now, with the launch of my new firm, Pivotal Advisors, I'm the first African-American woman, first Afro-Latina, to have an institutional investment advisory OCIO firm in the country. Well, February is Black History Month, and we are honoring some of our CNBC contributors. That was Pivotal Advisors CEO and Chief Investment Officer Tiffany McGee with her personal story about taking risks. And Tiffany now joins us with more on the Markets Day Ahead. Thank you very much for being here with us, Tiffany. I know that you were tweeting about your green or your yellow juice this morning in addition to your coffee. So the breakfast routine, we know that you're up early. We know that you're up early. What is it that's caught your attention this morning as you were sipping on that yellow juice and coffee? What is it about the markets that kind of gets your attention? Yeah, so it it really is yesterday. And so one of the things that I'm really um, most excited about um, is Uber's kind of acquisition of Drizzly. And so, you know, um, the CEO was actually on CNBC uh, yesterday. Both CEOs were on were on uh, CNBC yesterday. And, you know, Uber, one line kind of sticks out in, in my mind. The CEO of uh, Uber says that if Amazon owns next day delivery, Uber wants to own next hour delivery. And that's exactly right. You know, I I look at the difference between an Uber and a Lyft and I've said it before. um, Uber is not a ride share company. It's a tech delivery company and they want to be the company that brings everything to your door. And, you know, they bought um, they did this kind of really cool pivot 
and bought um, one of uh, you know, Uber Eats's biggest competition, Postmates, um, you know, uh, in, in mid to late uh, 2020. And now with this purchase of Drizzly, I mean, they just keep doubling down. Um, and I just really am excited about, about the future of Uber. So, so we, I mean, many people have made the case that Uber is not a rideshare company, that it's a technology company, that it's, a, it's actually a service mm-hmm. company. It's one that provides a platform for a kind of dispatch and everything else. What exactly then does that mm-hmm. say about the valuation or the actual kind of market value that it can grow into over time? It, it, the, the bullish narrative around Uber has to center around the fact that their total addressable market keeps growing the more they add on to different businesses, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we, we tend to talk, um, you know, on, on, uh, on CNBC about valuations and what makes sense and really relative to um, these companies, relative to, to like companies and to um, the, the, the median S&P or, or, or things like that. And what I'm looking at is, you know, Uber's competition. It's getting harder and harder to, to kind of value companies these days, right? And this kind of in this intersection of like technology. And then we just are still kind of still kind of in this global pandemic, right, um, where we have economies that are still sluggish. And how do you value that? You know, how do you how do you value a company like Uber that is really uniquely positioned to do all of these things? And what what I think is very interesting with Uber is, again, it's not just ride share and it's not just, um, you know, a food delivery, but because they have so many different, um, you know, spokes, if you will, they're kind of bulletproof, right? It doesn't really matter whether we're in a global pandemic or whether we're not in a global, global pandemic, right? They're able to kind of weather the storm. And again, they just keep kind of doubling down. So this traditional idea of valuation, I think, is going to be a little bit hard to do here. All right. So, Tiffany, it's fair to say that you're an Uber bull. We can see that right now. So obviously there are people out there who don't agree with you as much. But I'm, I'm curious what other picks you have out there. Uber doesn't make a portfolio. What other companies are you looking at to kind of fill things out? What are you bullish on? Yeah, so I really look at 2020 as, um, it, it, for a lot of industries, kind of like a clearing of the deck. Um, so you take like the restaurant industry, for, for example, um, $150 billion kind of lost in that industry. So many, you know, unfortunately, so many um, restaurants um, really going out of business. Uh, and so it's really um, the, the, the stage is set for certain companies to really do well and dominate. And what are the companies that are doing well? The companies that are using tech to to get um, you know products to their customers, to get food to their customers. Uh, so a company like Starbucks, I put in that category, who is using kind of like this this mobile app. I call it like the, like the VIP line, if you will, pre-pandemic. And um, now that they're they're they were kind of able to kind of weather this storm. I know they came out with earnings. I missed a little bit, um, but I, I'm, I'm not really concerned about that. But, you know, they're they're really, um, you know, harnessing the power of technology to continue their business, to do their business more efficiently. Um, also, the loyalty programs give so much data about their customers sure. to Starbucks. They've got over 20 million, um, 20 million people in their um, loyalty program and helps them develop um, sales strategies and marketing strategies going forward. All right. Starbucks and Uber, two of the big picks from Tiffany McGee. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon, Tiffany. Thanks, Dominic. All right. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. You can see there the Dow implied higher by roughly about 50 points. Squawk Box picks up the coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.